Critical Consideration, your seasonal source for all things awards. I am Vaughn, and with me is my good friend and fellow critic, Calvin. Calvin, how you doing this week? I've got my uh, Grub Von Krampus uh, mug, which I, I'm feeling a bit Krampus-like this week, so uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring that energy to the podcast with uh, very little Thanksgiving's sleep. Thanksgiving's over. And- uh, yeah, still on the uh, turkey hangover, uh, so to speak. Um, we just finished all our leftovers and then went to a kid's pizza party. Um, you, you realize, like, in the school season, once that begins, you just go to endless things, and you're uh, kind of um, uh, against it with the holidays, uh, the amount of things yeah. you have to do, and you're... And you're kind of always um, obligated to as a parent. It's it's oh, yeah. tenfold more than you would expect. Chaos as it is during the holidays, I can't imagine adding a, a kid into the mix there. It must be must be quite chaotic. Because they had other kids, and then the kids add other things, and then they all want to get together <laughs> outside the things they have. And then I just feel like Krampus, and I just want to uh, take them all <laughs> away in a bag. And um, I don't want to say I want to beat them with a stick, not on a podcast. I'll say that <laughs> I, mean, I hope not. I <laughs> Well, all that happens while your stack of FYC discs is piling up and you're running out of time to watch things. So I, I think I've received, between links and discs, maybe, I'd say like conservatively about 50 things uh, between all the links like and all the it, yeah. discs. Um, how many would you say you've like put in from like the actual piles between links and discs? Not too many. <laughs> okay. I, I did end up making. I'll have to see. I actually started a, a tag for stuff I had watched um, for that purpose. I'll have to see. I have six. Okay. Is how many I have tagged as as having gotten to strictly from uh, from being sent them. So not a whole lot. I keep thinking I'm going to get to this. I'm going to get to this, and then of course, just you know, the course of watching things, I end up diverging into totally different paths. That's that how not, the season ends up going for me i look forward to it all year and then like the season (laughs) rolls around and it's like bunked into like all these other busy holiday events and activities and um you you wish they would start in like july and just start like sending (laughs) stuff halfway through the year so you had full consideration um but yeah i'm not going to see everything we're sent obviously i think i've sent i think i've seen four or five which is like an all-time low in like the last four years i've been receiving things um i'm going to escalate it though so. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to do the same myself. I mean, the other thing is that probably half of the stuff that we've been sent I've already seen already just through the course of the year. So you get a stack of discs from A24, and I'm like, oh, I have I'm missing you know two of these out of yes. the whole year. So yeah, that's that the diminishes the the pile already. Yeah, of the fifty, you know, maybe there's twenty that I really need to see. Yeah, and, and not, those aren't like the twenty that I was like a head over heels about. It's just nice to have the the physical copy of some of them and. And to kind of be in the season and, and like uh, having some of these come back around, reconsider them. The show's a good uh, proxy for like our ideas about that. And um, I, I feel uh, pretty good about the season in all, though. I think there's so many uh, prominent examples, more than there were in like 2020 for sure. Uh, stuff's come out. Yeah, it's been a good end of the year here. I was feeling a little, I mean, as, as we, as you can hear on the first episode of the show, us talking about how we kind of felt. <laughs> about the the year so far we were a little bit middle of the road on it at that point just a few short weeks ago but i feel like i've seen so much great stuff in between then and now Mm -hmm. and it's starting to really stack up and be a pretty solid year in the same way at the same time in the back of my mind it's like movies are always better before awards season like 
Uh, maybe because I'm not just like watching them with this express purpose of like they have to fit into these categorizations. And if yeah. they don't, I'm so done with whatever that movie was. Like uh, if <laughs> right. it if it doesn't actually contribute and I spent time watching it rather than the rest of the stack, I feel like so objectively against the movie in a way I wouldn't in January. <laughs> no, I totally get that. I think, I mean, I think we have certainly started to run into that of like, okay, let's check some of this stuff out and then we get to it. And it's like, I was expecting that to be more worthwhile. And if it's not, you feel that much more disappointed where it's like, if I had watched it, like you said, like in, you know, in March or whatever, then it probably just would have been like, okay, whatever. I saw a mediocre movie. Yeah. But now it feels like it's somehow a waste of time, even though it's absolutely not. I spend like most of my year, like seeking out like the five and six, uh, 10 reviews, like being like, I want to be the guy who does the, the best review for this middling movie that, that most reviewers <laughs> just kind of like pass off. Like I want to, yeah. I want to write about how middling it is and, and that brand of like B movie that I'm not quite into. Um, and then this time of year, I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to cover any of this. I'm, I'm just yeah. going to cover the best of the best. And you kind of fall into that mode of like what people think reviewers do, which is just like picking and choosing like pet projects that, that they really want to cover. And that's what you become. Um. Yeah, it's it's certainly unintentional, but it's like, I, I think maybe there's an expectation that there's some level of of doing that on purpose but it's like there's not really it's just like you get to a certain point where especially this time of year i'm watching so much stuff and it's just like constant it's like i don't want to spend you know a bunch of time writing about a movie that i was not interested in yeah when i could spend time writing about something that i was really engaged with so then it kind of kind of ends up feeling like that just naturally even if you weren't really intending it to be that way the writing time is basically watching time for a whole other feature so uh if exactly. i spend my time writing about the bad movies those are the good movies i didn't get to watch so uh, yeah absolutely so this time of year that runs into that problem like I, I imagine people have that problem most of the year when they like focus on the classics and that's all they watch is like they're like right why would i go watch black panther 3 if i could go watch um all the billy wilder movies or whatever i get that <laughs> right. but uh but for me, I like being in the middle of the road most of the year. I like exploring the downs and the ups. I think that tells you the most about cinema when you have the, the whole spectrum. I think so, too. I think you can end up, yeah, learning so much more with that stuff if you're really in tune with it. It's like, so it's, it's even if it's not stuff that I'm necessarily taking the time to write full pieces on, it's like I still find it to be important stuff to be engaging with. Uh, at least I try to tell myself that on some level. Right. I um, mean, like, besides, like, Marcel the show with shoes on every movie I saw this year was valuable like to my experience as a critic and like my growth like I I learned to write better when I write about three out of ten movies um that those are the yeah, ones totally. that strengthen your tools and, and like your ability to really dig into things too um but I guess along with this discussion I guess we now we have our, our platform to talk about some of the movies that we didn't get a chance to write about that we have been catching up on okay. in the last week. So what have you seen this last week, Calvin? What have you been watching? Well, since it's almost that season, I saw uh, James Cameron's Aliens. Um, have you heard of that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a 2022 release. Uh, I think he's got something else coming out that we haven't talked about yet. But what if it's like an evergreen movie and no matter when you watch it, it's still the best movie you watch that week? <laughs> well it certainly is i can't disagree with that although you might get some some confused looks if you end up putting that down on your ballot <laughs> i'm putting in best villain um <laughs> yeah uh, uh, uh what did we watch we watched um the fablemans and theater together 
yeah which was such a weird experience as as always and it's and it's different with with this one a little bit because this is one that's gone around you know the festival circuit and so there's already sort of impressions of it but it's always interesting seeing stuff early and not knowing quite where you're gonna land right i mean i hadn't i had an expectation here just because it's spielberg and it's spielberg making a movie about movies and it's like it seems like on paper that's all the stuff i should i should love about a movie but like came out and i was like this just this just did nothing for me it left no impact on me which is so unfortunate this became what i thought empire of light would be in like a, a very exact <laughs> yeah. way i thought this is exactly the result i'd have with empire light right and spielberg's version of like the cinema paradiso would be a little bit sharper and like uh, more reflective and, yeah, and have uh, more to say but i think it has very little um to say i think the casting's terrible um I think yeah i uh, think so too i the performances are, are just kind of all over the place and aren't doing the same thing for the same purpose to me. I think they're all in different movies and it's just not, it makes it that much let that much less engrossing because it just feels like you're trying to figure out which one of the movies that you want to be watching. Cause there's so many happening at the same time. Um, I feel like this, it just can't pick one thing to do. I feel like it should be, you know, if it's going along those lines, trying to be that kind of cinema parody. So thing or, like day for night or something like that like these movies that are love letters to movies i'm like i want it to be one of those things and not every single one that you could be doing all wrapped into one because then it's just a mess and the movie here is a mess to me i guess i i even wish it were like alice doesn't live here anymore like uh scorsese's version of his mother's story of like him and his mother and, and his mother kind of like floating between dudes and uh, I thought that was yeah. like one of Scorsese's most interesting movies in a way this could have been about Spielberg, but I don't think you could get that from modern Spielberg. Um, it would have had to have been something he did in a different yeah. era to get to what he wanted to do. Yeah, it, it feels it feels on autopilot a little bit in a way that I was really disappointed by. It doesn't feel like there's there's just not passion all the way through it for me. And I think that Spielberg making a movie that's just about himself and it comes across very self-aggrandizing to me i don't know if everyone else gets that sense or maybe everyone else just kind of is fine with it because it's spielberg but i was like i I just i don't need you to like make yourself into this cinematic hero (laughs) it's just not what i'm interested in he definitely gets a pass i don't want to say michelle williams gets a pass i mean she's been given a lot of uh leeway for obvious like interpersonal reasons of what happened to her and and her uh love life and all that but uh you could uh you could then say, well, maybe you don't want to be the person that's like, actually, she's always been a terrible actor and we just socially decided she gets a pet. It's not that. I just, I've never engaged with her. I think she overacts everything. Um, but I don't think Just in general good. or in here specifically? Here specifically. I think she's way oh, okay. over yeah. and in a different movie. I think she's in a whole different territory than the rest of the yeah, movie. Yeah, it's the thing. Like, I don't necessarily think it's terrible. It's just not what this movie is. I, I, I think she's, yeah, she's somewhere else and it's... <laughs> I would be okay if it was that movie, but it's not that movie, so... And then people say, well, that's... doesn't work. And then people are like, well, you watch Spielberg's mom on video, or, like, you watch, like, a, um, ideas of, like, what his mom would be, and it's exactly this. It's like, well, that's fine, but but that doesn't make it a better movie in any way. Yeah. Um, I mean, if yeah, that were I mean, the movie. <laughs> right. I, I get that he experienced all of this stuff, and whether it's, you know, how, however true to life it is, is, is fine, but that doesn't make it a compelling movie you should still should be capable of of writing it into a way that's cinematically cohesive and this isn't that 
which is probably why you just shouldn't make a movie that's literally about yourself like that like it's, yeah, it's just maybe doesn't work that well i experienced the same thing with armageddon time i i didn't care okay yeah i haven't gotten to that one yet okay. um i like james gray but i don't like james gray. mostly because i haven't <laughs> i haven't heard too many good things about it yeah it's kind of the same thing um uh maybe these <laughs> um i don't want to it's not like on the level of badness of like Belfast. I don't want to like put it right there, but it's not Roma either. Yeah. Um, if you want to do it, do a Roma, I think. Yeah. And and don't do Roma the way that Belfast does Roma. Uh, do Roma in the way that Roma is totally original. And, uh, and carry right. on. Not, not just like lifting ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like his vision of Mexico and like uh, uh, the socio-political climate and what it means to move through that country, I think is is so unique in a way that Belfast never hoped to be. And in a way that um, Fablemans has nothing to say about any of that. Um, uh, it, it is well-directed. I think it just has a really lousy script. I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think just the, the screenplay is, is very bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, it's Spielberg, so the direction is fantastic because he hasn't stopped being a good director. There's just nothing here to work with. Would you say the horizon's always in the right place? I absolutely would. Um, I do, I will say it's worth watching because uh, there's there there is some great stuff in there and I think some of the best moments of the year are in there when they're yeah, yeah. extracted from the rest of the film but cohesively not the best. There is like a, a best Spielberg movie of the last like five years in there somewhere that that's just lost in the the chaos of yeah, the script so. going four different directions. Um, uh, besides that, uh, let's talk about other bad movies in our award show, recognizing the best movies of the year. How about Women Talking? Oh, man, yeah, I was I was shocked by how little I got out of this one. I I was expecting good things. I mean, I think on paper, just even I haven't read the book. I don't have experience with that aspect of it. But just even the conceptually, I was like, this sounds great. This is very interesting. I always want to watch new work from uh, female directors and i was excited for it but i just feel like this doesn't justify its own adaptation from its format would you say you came into the movie with an interest in women talking is that something that, that appeals to <laughs> yes you? okay i Me think too. so yeah. i think uh, i think it's something i like to see the most is women having space and and being given um well i guess you couldn't say it passes any kind of like bechdel test it's all about men in a in the way they've like in, enforced yeah, things on women but movies don't have to do that to be feminist we need to get rid of the idea that that's the only way to be feminist uh, um Agreed, there's yeah. uh, uh so much in the book it's such a strong and serious script but that like it kind of falls apart like in the the starkness of the movie just how how gray and in color drained it is yeah i i mean i can see that like i can see through what is being presented and understand that like there are so many great ideas in there and i can tell that it came from a great source that has a lot to say and there's st there's worthwhile stuff in here but again like i just don't think that even just watching it i was like i would rather be reading a book right now i would rather be reading the book because all this movie is doing is what feels like at least to me having not read it is like it's literally just taking the exact dialogue from the book and putting it on screen like they're just reading the script to me and there is no visual interest it's super desaturated and i get that it's quote-unquote intentional mm -hmm. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it's great just because it's intentional um it is reasonable so just... you could say like the the desaturation and it's like the powerlessness of the women and the 
the tough spot they're put in and what their lives have in terms of color and and opportunity yeah, I mean, but it's like but then i don't like looking at it you know it's yeah. like i i get that there is there is a purpose there and i understand what you're trying to do with that but I should also be getting something out of looking at it and out of you visualizing it. If you're going to take a book and turn it into a movie, you have to give some kind of reason for adding that element of the medium. And if you're not doing anything to translate or adapt, then why bother? It's like Mank, which had like you know a shelf life of a week or two in theaters. Like, why would you take this stylization that's going to look so fucking terrible on streaming? Um, <laughs> Women talking yeah. is literally going to be seen in theater for two weeks of its lifespan, then. The rest of the movie's life, it's going to be seen on streamers where it looks like total... I, I don't want to say it's horseshit, but it's a, It's going to look horrible <laughs> no matter how compressed it, I mean, it, it, it'll it be. It didn't look good for us, you know, no. watching the screener that we were sent. It's like, I'm like, if this is what we're being sent, you know, by the studio, I'm like, it's not a very good look for you wanting me to consider it. No. Um, but the score is great. Yeah. Um, Hildur, again, whose name I cannot... Per- last name i cannot pronounce is a an incredible yeah. uh, um composer of films that aren't as good as her scores usually um uh, i think a joker in this is as primary cases in that in that argument um uh, yeah it's great she's, yeah. she's got two things this year that are really standing out between this and tar i think tar is going to end up kind of standing out just because in my mind it's the much more prominent film in the landscape yeah um, and i, I f- yeah. I have a feeling this might just kind of fly under the radar because I don't know if there's going to be a real push for its greatness, Mm -hmm. at least that I can tell. So we do have um, an ensemble category. So later, I think we could come back to it uh, for one thing, at least. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, because there's two Hildar scores and one is so uh, uh, important to the movie and so so essential to what the movie is. I think we'll probably go with that one. Yeah. what, anything else you saw this week? Um, nothing that's uh, standing out in the back of my mind. Uh, how about you? Nothing Let's... else that's... Um, so I'll, I'll mention briefly, I'll mention Strange World, Disney's new flop. Um, <laughs> new flop, okay. <laughs> which, has, which I would be curious, like, if even anyone listening had knows what this movie is because it feels like they just did not put any effort into marketing it at all. I feel like I barely knew anything about it. Um, and that's, you know, even being in touch with releases and what's coming out in, in the landscape. And it's like, I don't know what they were doing. It's not good. I'll say that. But that usually isn't necessarily a factor for whether a Disney movie, you know, is sold or does well. So it's weird that this one has just kind of come and will probably very quickly leave. I think of it like Lightyear it being the like t- two things they thought should be like cinematic releases right. that seem like probably those should have been the streaming releases. And then things like Turning Red. Uh, I forget. Did Turning Red have a cinema release that was just straight? No, to... it did not. Yeah. That, that is really concerning when this has. Uh, um, I find that very troubling. Um, uh, Turning yeah, Red, I, mean, I would have I... liked to see as much as any movie this year with Ezra in the theater. Yeah. It was definitely the wrong decision to return sort of with Lightyear and not yeah. with uh, with Turning Red. Very strange decision there. But yeah, I, I mean, I think Strange World feels like something that should work and maybe that they were banking on that being it being more marketable and it just the final product is just not worth selling. But I, I mean, the idea of like this sort of like bubblegum retro futurist stylization and the cool world that they've got like 
it being so alien and unique is certainly i think very compelling and there's a lot of visual ideas that are great but man is it bogged down by the narrative because it's just so uninteresting it's it's the same ideas as everything you've ever seen nothing (laughs) nothing is remotely interesting or novel um it is just it doesn't even seem like it's trying you know it just feels like such lazy filmmaking which is disappointing for any kind of animation which i always want a lot out of there's uh three quick thoughts ezra doesn't want to go see it she's unconvinced by the trailers and if they can't do that they're fucked up um second thought uh yeah. treasure planet uh 20 years old today um that's an interesting parallel between like what disney's done before with like this retro space uh future thing and what they're doing 20 years later in, in like a more digital way that doesn't look as good. And third thought, um, having the CEO, former CEO of your company now, Bob Chapek, come out a week before a release of your animated feature and say that animation, adults shouldn't watch animation is a really funny choice. Um, oh, wow. I didn't even know that had happened. But yeah, that is, that's not a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be the CEO of Disney and say, yeah, animation's not for adults. I, I don't think... Uh, uh, you own Pixar. You better uh, uh, work that out. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess that mindset is is pretty indicative of why this is such a disaster of a movie. Like, if that's the the mindset that's driving Disney is that basically this stuff doesn't matter and adults shouldn't watch it, then, you know, why should the people actually working on it be putting any effort into it? And Because, yeah, I don't know how any adult would watch this. I mean, I don't know why any kid would really get much out of it either, because I don't think there's much there. Um, But it's certainly not trying to do anything with, like, any sort of interesting theme that an adult could could actually glean anything from. I mean, the basic idea is, like, the same thing that you've seen a thousand times of, like, you become your father, and then you have to learn from your mistakes. And But it's, like, the (laughs) the options are so bizarre to me because it's like it presents this world where like the the only options are to be an explorer or to be a farmer and i don't know how anyone is like (laughs) relating to that and it gives i mean you've got like the grandfather and then the father who's like the main character and his son and he's kind of like going through the same things that he went through with his dad whatever whatever um so it's like that uh star trek movie um where, where you just gotta like stay on the farm or go to space (laughs) exactly like that um but yeah it's just like i I just wish that it had done anything interesting i mean i feel like even if you're going to take that kind of very basic and sort of tried and true premise the least you could do is have the the younger character who's trying to kind who's kind of being forced down these paths by you know generations of fathers that the least you could do would have him do something completely different but instead it's like he has to pick one of the two things it's like is there no are there no other options in this universe you have to do one of two things you can do Um, anything with animation and especially when you take it somewhere like that and and that those themes you could you could really do anything so it's so disappointing what they did with Lightyear and strange world yeah and it's like i mean even that aside it, it has an idea for what it wants to do with the wider narrative and like what it wants to say and it's kind of interesting, but it also just says it directly at you at one point. And it's just like, okay, like you're not giving me much to work with here if you're just going to basically spike the lens and tell me what the theme of the movie is. It's just like, I got nothing, you know? It's unfortunate. So this is certainly not going in my animation category. Uh, my my other kind of disney 
Disney-ish watch this year, this week would be a, a Disney Channel's theme, um, a history mystery, uh, which would be a YouTube <laughs> uh, movie, which we cannot apply to any of our categories. Uh, no festival release, nothing local. Um, uh, Kevin Pierger, though, is uh, uh, Defunct Land is a famous YouTube channel that uh, a lot more people watch than than who watch documentaries that we could actually talk about. So I thought I should really yeah. give a chance to more YouTube content than I have been. And maybe I might start thinking of how to cover some of that on the site. And if, if like YouTube content deserves like formal reviews, I think the audience is actually there for it. And I, I think maybe we, or I should make more pathways into like a, a making that a part of what I do, but I don't think we're ready. Like, there aren't the formal entries ready for an award show yet. Like, right. Like there might be 15 million viewers on Kevin Purier's, uh, uh, YouTube videos, but that doesn't mean that they're, um, that there's like a voting body ready to receive them the right. way that there is like, a uh, some of the docs we'll talk about today, that they're not, they're not yeah. there like that. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's, it's the sort of, the way that YouTube offers things, it's like, it's great that you can get just anyone to be able to do anything. And I think there's certainly so much there in terms of what people are being allowed to do with that platform and like being able to just make films and, and, you know, it's up to sort of the community to be able to decide if they're worthwhile or not. And there's certainly a lot there. Um, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's hard because so much of it can kind of get lost in it and there's not necessarily as much of a, a direct audience that's mm-hmm. concentrated on that kind of thing. You're just kind of throwing it out and whoever catches it, catches it. Um, and it's, it's interesting because there are more feature films being uploaded there and that's becoming more of a platform for that. Yeah. Um, even outside of documentaries, but it's certainly a great place for that kind of amateur documentarian um, and making that stuff like that. That's always often very, very informative and, and better than some of the actual output. I think that's part of what the, argument that this makes by the end is like he's talking about these artists who made like these bumpers for disney channel um original like a uh, um uploads between like commercials right like you're just like yeah uh getting like the jingle and like who made these things like these aren't credited uh musicians but they're uh, people who are very serious and passionate about the music they made and and they love the projects they worked on why aren't they getting total credit but then it kind of correlates that to youtube and i'm like well, maybe are the 14 million views and the money you make, is that the credit you get possibly? But also <laughs> isn't Disney an institution that's held down these creators that you're celebrating right. alongside celebrating Disney? And shouldn't we actually be putting the spikes to the institution rather than saying YouTube's the same, YouTube's good like Disney is because it has <laughs> creators you don't know about. Because maybe YouTube's part of the same um, institutional problem and that's why the creators are getting buried because of what YouTube does uh, to uh, to content creators who don't get 14 million views. Maybe I think uh, Kevin Purier or whatever his name is might uh, might have reflected better on like what um, the actual institutional problems are that create issues and like creators not getting recognized and and the difference between someone who uh, composes for a soundtrack and someone who does jingle commercial work. Um, uh, yeah. I don't think there's like an artistic disparity because I think like commercial is entirely art and, and no form. Um, so, uh, I think it, uh, I think he's on to something he's like halfway there, but he makes, I think the wrong parallel between his work, uh, which, uh, creates a confusing, uh, 
idea in the landscape of what YouTube could be. So I don't know. I think I could write more formally about uh, some of these like arguments that YouTube content creators are making. And I do realize that like the Seattle Mariners award that we gave out two years ago is the biggest thing we ever did at film critic, Seattle film critics. So, uh, I think that might be because people watch YouTube videos and I think that, I think it might yeah. be because they have the most loyal audiences that are willing to retweet things. So, um, I'm kind of interested in exploring what to do with that. I think there's a lot we could do with it. I just don't know what it is yet. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. It's interesting, I think, to apply that sort of critical lens to stuff like that because I think it's it's totally valid when you're presenting something in a very formal documentarian sense and even if you're uploading it to that kind of platform where it's it is a little bit more relaxed and there's not necessarily any strict guidelines to what you're uploading um it's still worth looking into that stuff and analyzing that stuff because there are you know whatever 15 million people watching it and maybe that's the kind of stuff that needs just as much of a a look at at what it's actually accomplishing because i think sometimes there's a tendency to if you're going to make something like that you have an idea and then you just kind of do it and you put it out there and maybe the idea is not fully formed because you don't have that same team behind you or producers or a studio or whatever that would be behind an actual documentary like trying to sort of position it in the correct way sometimes the only difference is a pr firm so um occasionally (laughs) i think it could be very relevant to uh, check some of that out but also um i think the the films need to start making better arguments because i watched uh, another one the last week by h bomber guy a popular video game youtuber who made a thing about tommy tellerico who's like a long time friend of mine in the past uh um who uh, i interviewed a couple times and talked to since i was a young kid and uh, he made like a total takedown of like tommy tellerico and uh, all of it's valid i mean he's a, a total pathological liar and scam people for the new um television in television amico system but then i also think like uh but he's also a great composer like he actually did really great things so why is the argument entirely like this guy is not valid and he's a scam artist but but also he did work on 200 video game compositions um, and is still a, a family member of uh, uh, Steven Tyler. Uh, I mean, he still is musically connected and still yeah. has it in his genes. It still has a, a legacy of music that uh, affected a lot of people and the development of um, how video games sounded, like his early right. Genesis stuff and what he got out of those early sound chips really um, created like a idea of what retro sound could be in a more cinematic retro sound like his aladdin soundtrack i think is very remarkable and how he started with genesis then worked toward snes uh, i think that platform led development was really influential but uh yeah i think that that all gets lost when you're like let's look at every yeah. lie this guy ever told like that's kind Absolutely. of the youtube mentality that i don't get yeah no this is actually i think a, a pretty perfect segue here um into something else that i watched this week but like that is the problem and it's not that it's not a problem in the wider world of like actual feature documentaries but like when you have just this sort of populist platform of of things that gain traction just based on how many other people are watching them it's like there's nobody to vet that stuff and you can just these people will just decide what their their view is (laughs) and then that view gets uploaded and then everyone just takes that as truth without because they're looking at that video as 
the monolithic truth and they're yes. not going to go and, and look into anything else. They're not going to look into perhaps what is, you know, the other side of this, what are the actual perspectives here because they're watching the creator and that creator has decided their direction for it. And um, I think we forget that these videos are about real people. And right. um, I mean, this is someone who I talked to over the course of 14, 15 years of my life and in like very brief, like, you know, uh, segmented ways like we keep coming back to the conversations it was like on on like message boards originally and and uh very strange to talk to a 13 year old by the way if you're a grown adult like working in a profession <laughs> yeah you no, probably certainly. don't you probably shouldn't do that and send them pictures of your house also um but oh, uh uh just like the the oddness of like every comment being like yeah this is the truth like this tommy guy is full of shit and he right. has contributed nothing to video games i was like let's slow down let's play uh, earthworm gym and just think about what that <laughs> let's think about how fucking cool that game is um but yeah i mean people could get canceled they could they could lie and, and scam people and need to be like kind of forced out of the industry but um i think tommy already has been i think uh this is kind of like uh, the smoke after the fire i think it's already uh, uh happened yeah. with the miko I think Tommy's already out as the president. He isn't working in video game sound design. So I think like this brutalist takedown of everything he's done that's wrong and uh, with no balance on that other side, I think is a kind of cruel in a way. But uh, um, but it's also interesting. I'm I'm delving into the YouTuber phenomenons now, and uh, I'm I'm interested <laughs> in covering more of them and and talking and thinking about them more formally. Um, but yeah, this is this is actually a great segue because I think there's some, one of the things that I watched this week has a very is making I think a very similar argument, um, and it actually ended up being what I think is maybe one of my favorite movies of this year, which is Something in the Dirt. Oh. Um, so that's the the latest release from directing duo Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. Um, what's your familiarity with them? Have you seen all their stuff? I wouldn't say all. I know Resolution. I know, uh, uh, I'd say three or four things I might have, I might be very familiar with. And I, I'm very interested in them. Yeah. So I, I ended up watching that before anything else. And now I've been going back and trying to catch up on their older movies. Um, but yeah, I was really taken by something in the dirt. It, and it basically is like, it's these two guys played by Moorhead and Benson um and they kind of meet up in la they're both kind of these washed up burnout kind of guys that don't really have any purpose in life um and are sort of still in search of that and they begin to experience what they believe to be the sort of um, supernatural phenomenon in the house that they live in and they decide to create a documentary trying to sort of capture it um and trying to figure out what it is and it becomes sort of a case study in exactly that, which is like the the bias of the creator, um, because it becomes it gets to a point where you really have no idea what where that line is between reality and what they might be embellishing or completely fictionalizing. Um, so it's it's just super fascinating, and I like that it does yeah exactly that, and it's kind of like them sort of poking fun at themselves because it has kind of this, especially going back now and and watching their older stuff. Um, there is sort of this reflection on like the way that they would present that ambiguity with sincerity in the past. Um, and this does like the same thing because you're sort of, um, watching the documentary that they've created. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's presenting that same sort of sincere ambiguity of like, you don't really have any idea what's actually going on, but 
it's so much more self-aware in the way that it's doing it that it knows that like these guys are full of shit mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> that you don't really know what uh, what's actually happening and that you're kind of being sold on their own their own bias but it really wants you to buy into it i think you really do um so it's really interesting i think it's just a fascinating like thing where it's kind of I think there's even a degree of like poking fun at the viewer for like being so bought into their bullshit, but it's presented so sincerely that like you really want to. <laughs> so I think it's, it's just awesome. Um, I, I don't know how many categories I could really slot this into. I think this is very much just like a, a pick of a film for me. That's kind of like something that I'm really in tune with, but it does have a really awesome score. Um, so I think it, that's a, that's a potential in there for me. Um, I'm really a fan of that score. Yeah. Um, I think a lot about like how documentaries influence us just like what music beds they put under things yeah. like all the technical choices they make have profound influences on on what their message is and I think uh, maybe that's the part that gets lost in like the independent YouTube uh, uh, thing is like the yeah. formality of doc making that like uh, Werner Herzog might have or or like the act of killing <laughs> yeah. might really have no, like exactly. the credentials of uh you're not going to find the act of killing on like a video game YouTubers channel, but right. um, <laughs> uh, you would like them to try. Yeah. Cause I think that YouTube stuff is also just like a big thing of like access. And it's like, there's only one real mode of that kind of thing that you're going to get, which is sort of like assessing existing information rather than like actually going out and like, you know, the best documentaries are really exploring what's around them mm -hmm. in that way. And like, being able to go places and investigate things and it's like youtubers aren't doing that they're you know typically it's just like them going staying at home and picking a topic and putting something together and they can put it together really well and it can be very very interesting but it's not quite the same a lot of the time at best their research assignments i think is kind of the youtube format yeah <laughs> no you're right that's um, fine though that's that's a fine thing yeah. and i'm going to get into more of them um yeah, John Boys is still so far my favorite. So uh, I recommend all his sports documentaries just for his insane um, uh, graphical presentation, which isn't just like sports clips. It's like all these, uh, it's like an advanced PowerPoint kind of uh, with a, <laughs> a lot of stats that kind of make sports so unique and so interesting. Yeah. In like, a, um, no, pardon the pun, but like an inside baseball way, like what people in the sports are interested in. Right. are like these extreme stats that, that explain uh, the the characteristic of a person who plays sports in like a really deep, um, empathetic way. Uh, so stats that like lead to humanity is kind of like a, a format that I like in sports stocks. Yeah, I mean, that's a great sort of lens to be approaching things from. That's a director I've been really meaning to sort of dive into and then learn a lot more about. So I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I'm looking forward to whenever I can get into that stuff. Yeah, uh, should, we, um, should we get into some of our topics this week? Yeah, let's get into what we've got this week. Oh, I actually need to. I'm going to have to kind of on the fly pull up previous year winners here, but that's no big deal. Um, I'll start with, so we're going to be talking this week about um, best film not in the English language, best animated feature, and best documentary feature. So we've got kind of uh, the the alternate stuff this week, the the sort of different worlds that cinema has to offer. Um, so I guess first, let me talk about like what what are some of your favorite international outputs, like as far as countries. Like, do you have a country that you find yourself really gravitating towards? Um, yeah, just a Francophile and then nothing else. It's just a, <laughs> just the one to a 
Yeah, 60s, <laughs> 70s France, and then I don't know if there's another country that makes films. But, but if there were, I'd probably try them too. Uh, like everyone who is in America leaning toward France and Japan just because of accessibility. Um, uh, but no, I certainly, yeah. But I'm very interested in German filmmaking, of course, which is also like a classical construct that's connected to the German and, and the American and French industries. You know, those are very interconnected, I mean. But uh, uh, besides like the West, I, I don't really venture out as much as I should do. So. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's that's interesting because I think that's exactly what can be so like beneficial about exploring um, sort of international output is like you end up, you know, you do enough searching and you kind of find like that one output that we're just like kind of the movement itself has something to really say to you specifically and, and can really speak to yours kind of ideology and what you're looking for in cinema. And so like you find that thing and if you can just really dive down that rabbit hole, I think that's great. Um, because there always is stuff out there um, outside of America and uh, and our little bubble out here. I think the prominent thing to find right now is how amazing the modern South Korean movements are. Um, I think everyone's kind of arrived at those conclusions at the same time with that becoming more accessible with like Bong Joon-ho, but also uh, a lot of great directors you could find if you just dig into that whole movement. Um, yeah, no, I think... Korea is certainly one of my favorite um, countries for, for cinematic output recently. Um, I think they are just so consistent in the stuff that they put out. I think there's almost always something great coming yeah. out of Korea. And there's there's Every so year. many fantastic directors there. Yeah, they, they really don't, don't miss a beat there. Um, uh, and definitely, I, I would say this is probably one of the first countries that like I really started gravitating towards in getting into international cinema because it's just like... There's so much great stuff there. It's all extremely heavy and uh, intense often, but always so worthwhile. Maybe that's why it's so great, because it feels like going back to what American cinema could be like at its best if it if we were more serious and only made serious films. Um, they always seem yeah, to have something right. there. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's like the the two like big ones. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, of course, I'll have to mention Italy because I just love everything Italian horror, but that's like such a specific genre um and time period but I think generally like, i mean it's not it's not yeah, every year certainly. anymore but it when it is it's good yeah um i i think like for me the the country that has i've really found like that i've latched onto is is iran cinema yeah. um i think that their output is just so consistently wonderful and beautiful um and this year we've even got you know one of my favorite movies this year is is from that region so i mean and there's still stuff that I have to watch. I didn't get to it, but um, Jafar Panahi's uh, No Bears, we got the the link for that, which I've been really looking forward to. Um, so I'm glad that there's always new stuff coming out of there. It'll well. be able to watch No Bears with you anytime. I, I'd like to, that, that might be a good group watch uh, type thing, but. Um, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, the Iranian cinema, I don't know like what culturally happens around it, but I feel like it's the only country in its proximity where I've watched it. A real birth of films from so i don't know uh, what's so specific about iranian cinema but it's it's really always been beautiful since kiristami and it yeah, continues kind of in his lineage i think is why it's so uh, profoundly reflective of that cinema i think so yeah he he definitely is sort of the the defining note of that new wave and it's definitely carried on um in his image i think 
um, which I can't complain about because he's one of my favorite directors. I think the French uh, uh, haven't really had anything for me this year, uh, despite Claire Denis having two films come out. Um, yeah, so it's an unfortunate for sure. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, like, it's been an interesting year because looking through sort of past few years of, like, my lists and what I've loved, like, I think maybe the past five years and maybe even beyond that, I didn't look too far back, but it's like there is almost always um, an international film like at the top of my list or, you know, top top five at the very least. But, you know, at least for the last few years, it's been number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first year in recent history that I don't even have anything in the top five. It's been an interesting, an interesting year, like looking for stuff just for this list like i've got plenty of films to to discuss yeah. in that realm but it's like i don't have anything that has struck me to that that point of like this is number one and i guess part of that is not having hit the road in my list for this year because i watched it last year it's but, technically in your um, list though for voting I, yeah, I hope you know that i hope true. you put it in there because it's the only time you can oh so, it definitely okay, is good. um uh, yeah for me that is in there but uh, yeah i only have four in the top 20 and i i always think of it like um, we're only one country in the world, so uh, for me to have you know sixteen from our country, I think is kind of repugnant to do, but also reflects access in American cinema, but also the yeah. press access that we're given is largely uh, stuff that will play here. So, um, so we're given the stuff that is uh, in the Seattle market, right. and that's usually American film. Um, I, I, I mean, I. I regret not making it to more festivals with weird stuff this year, but uh, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, there's so many moving parts to it, so it's like it's hard to always like be able to pin that down. But it's like, you know, any given country is only going to really be able to push so many movies, mm. and you know, production companies and distributors can only pick up so many different movies to then distribute throughout America. So it's <laughs> yeah. like you end up with just a disproportionate numbers of you're not you're never going to be able to see unless you are really, really making a point of it. But, you know, as, as critics, you have to be kind of on top of all of the new releases, which is just for us, like you said, it's, it's almost all American stuff. And you even have to go be on, like, A24 and Neon and kind of see um, what the other distributors are doing and do the other right. um, regional cinema festivals that might be playing throughout our country. They, they could usually link you their whole programs if you're really interested in their in their work. They want more coverage, so... Uh, uh yeah. didn't do japan cuts this year because i don't think there was one um next year i hope to do I that again so. uh hopefully with steven and maybe you could join um but uh I, yeah i don't i don't have as much as i would like as far as uh, international goes yeah i've got a few i mean i think I, I have seen a fair amount Same. um but a lot of it is just it's just lower down and you know not stuff that i'm gonna mention but that's i mean that's just yeah. how it works in general there's so much stuff in my list that i am never gonna mention on the show yeah, not all. everything could be top gun um, but uh <laughs> well you're right about that <laughs> uh, um, should we get into our list but I, I... yeah why don't you start okay. um start with yours and let me pull up our previous winners here while you're while you're talking for a minute okay here. well um <laughs> i i also feel the same way in that like my my number one in this category won't even be something that i've like lingered on the whole year and thought like oh i need to really celebrate that and and push for it the, the way i would for like parasite right. in a very obvious way um uh, uh mine will be triple r which is just so 
already embedded in the idea of like what a, a number one international film would be that I don't I don't feel any need to really go for it. Um, I think people should go see it though. Don't let the three hour mark uh, deter you. It moves fast. Oh, it moves very fast. Yeah, I love love that film a lot. I think it's definitely going to be kind of top of the running of just because I think it's gotten more attention than anything else this year and that kind of generally tends to end up kind of being what where things land just because of that access question um so I did pull up here both uh Seattle Film Critics Society and the Oscars last year gave it to drive my car the um, right choice which totally deserving Yeah. yeah absolutely um not sure why it didn't win best picture but We'll move on from that. Um, <laughs> because I don't think Coda is a very good movie, but no, Drive My Car is, yeah, I mean, I've mentioned it a couple of times on this show now because it's just a favorite of mine in general. It's always funny when people remind me Coda won Best Picture, and I'm like, I have to process it for a moment, and I have to think about, like, oh, yeah, an, an Apple Plus film won, and it, it was it was this one, and and they won before Netflix. Yeah, yeah it's all very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know if it'll be, I think, the movie when, you know, in like 10 years, you're going back trying to think of what won in each year. And some years are, are much more memorable than others. But it's like nobody's going to remember Coda from 2022 there. But then like <laughs> I in, just don't think in that's... 10 years, I'm going to go back and watch Coda and be like, yeah, but that was charming, wasn't it? Like, it wasn't the best movie of the year, but, but Coda was a really charming movie that, uh, I mean, it's kind of like a bullshit team teen movie in any other director's hands but it becomes <laughs> something so charming and sweet that i uh i mean coda also you know, father daughter things i don't know uh it, it got to me so i i i like coda. Oh, i totally get that i mean it's not the best movie of that year though it's it's not licorice pizza yeah um uh, i'm glad we have another platform where <laughs> steven can't talk uh, because he, he gets to talk <laughs> on so many platforms so uh uh, I I just get to... now we can talk talk about how much we like licorice pizza without an interruption. It's the only podcast I get to say that on without Stephen getting a, a <laughs> the next uh, comment on it. Eventually, uh, he'll come on the next episode if I say it on a show, and uh, <laughs> it's just in his contract. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I feel uh, strongly that Triple R is really the only option for the Oscars. I don't see them like what else would they choose that that would okay. So it's preferential voting. So. That always favors the most watched movie. Um, yeah, I think absolutely you're you're right there. I mean, I think, I mean, like I said, it's like I, I don't think anything else has anywhere near the attention. No. Um, you know, I you look at other years and it's like Parasite being like the big <laughs> critical film of just like everybody ended up seeing that. Um, it, we and, don't even and, have yeah, that. If you're looking at yeah. the most popular film, it's 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 definitely this one. This one's gotten so much attention. Um, I'm curious. I'm, I'm gonna go back and look what was in the running last year okay. for international. Yeah. Um, so drive my car one, and then the rest was flee the hand of God, Lunana, a yak in the classroom, and the worst person in the world. Um, and I think I had ended up kind of banking on the worst person in the world um, because I thought that had a little more attention in the wider sense than drive my car. But yeah, the rest of those, it's like people just, I'm sure, did not see those at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah which is not surprising um I, i'm curious what the end the end lineup will look like for this year but i think there's going to be probably more stuff that more people have seen and might be a little more accessible um what's the rest of your list look like oh, i was just going to say like the year before last was confusing as well because minari was my pick for 
best film not in the English language, and that is an American oh, yeah. film, like distinctly an American right. Asian American story. And I think uh, uh, this year also carries through that trend that's been happening. It's kind of what I want to say before the rest of our list. It's just like, um, like the prominence of um, everything, everywhere, all at once is just a, a connection between our interests in the Asian cinema right now but also the proliferation yeah. of Asian American cinema. So I think we're still heading in the right place culturally where we're uh, evaluating those things and putting a spotlight so, on yeah. those creators and those actors. So uh, I'm very happy that we're still there. But uh, now we're seeing the American versions of it because now it's popular and we can make <laughs> money and A24 could get their best bank off that. So, right. uh, uh, okay, what's number two on men? Is that where we're at? Are we on yeah, yours? Go for okay. It. Uh, uh, mine's hit the road. I'm sure that's on yours. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't usually have these even organized in okay. any particular way, but I think yeah, hit the road is would certainly be at the top of my list because I just have such an affinity for it, um, and that makes me all the more interested in checking out um, his. It's interesting to have. Um, him this director panapanahi and then his father <laughs> having a film in the same year eligible um so i'll have to see how they kind of line up against each other but as much as i i love his dad's work i don't think that it'll quite strike the same chord that it did um with hit the road when i interviewed panapanahi his gratitude was just so immense he was just so lovely that i i felt even more attached to his work and more engaged with him as a person just uh, i could just tell how grateful he was just to get to talk about it and i i i just felt like a warmth there that i'm i'm really drawn to yeah so that has to stay in my you know top 10 top 15 for the rest of the year that i mean that's not moving far oh certainly um what else do you have here um so i i'll mention one that we both ended up watching this week which is eo oh, yeah i don't know if that's on your list but what a fascinating little movie um, that I that's kind of shown up right here at the end of the year. Yo, I have in third place. Yes, I, I, uh, <laughs> perfect timing. Then, um, yeah, best ensemble because it's led by a cast of five different donkeys. Because uh, one donkey <laughs> might not do what you want it to do, so you need like four other donkeys just to like follow suit and be like, "I need you to go across the bridge because the others won't do shit today." <laughs> but you would never notice those those donkeys all all make eo very uh, a very alive uh single character yeah um i never felt like i was looking at a bunch of different donkeys so it, maybe all donkeys just look the same <laughs> uh yeah like all gray donkeys might have the same characteristics but i think it brings <laughs> out such a, a softness about about the animals and and like our relationship to animals i think it's an interesting study of yeah and um it's so ethereal and and weirdly shot and it takes artistic choices sometimes the camera just goes totally right. red and it's just like a rouge like float above the clouds like looking down on earth like examining like what like a passage through life through like these cultures means it's interesting yeah i mean i feel like i've i've seen stuff like it before it reminded me a lot of a film called post uh, post tenebras lux um which is another movie that i really like a lot but I mean, I, I think that the ideas themselves, you know, this sort of like looking at um, the the joys and the sort of defects and uh, of humanity through the lens of an animal, um, and and how they are experiencing humanity and the earth and nature and all of that. 
Um, but it does it so well, and it's kind of like it exemplifies kind of what I'm often looking for from this kind of cinema. <laughs> That's such a funny um, thing to say is... about it. <laughs> like, I was just looking for a film about a donkey, like a, like a journey with a donkey. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> not quite that, but just like these sort of um, these sort of alternate lenses and different styles of presentation and this kind of like experimental stuff that seems like it often doesn't quite get off the ground in America. And it's like often you kind of miss this stuff and it's like that's when you want to look towards the rest of the world and what they can give you um and also just like and what is he 84 yeah, year old so, director is like <laughs> it's just wild so yeah jersey skull Monsky, he, he did deep end in 1970 that's his last like prominent movie so what 50 years later he comes back and does like this yeah this very artistic uh work that kind of reminds me a lot of something between well you know Shane Carew's work and something like Under the Skin, which is beloved for me, but but also it points to um, other art films. That, you know, there's a couple others with with traveling donkeys, but uh, I don't want to say it's derivative because <laughs> I haven't seen those films. So um, I I think it is very unique in in everything I've seen, and uh, uh, one of the standouts of the year, and one of the great surprises because uh, as I was watching it, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what kind of film it would become at any moment. Yeah, certainly it's kind of like the thing where there's no synopsis that's really going to tell you exactly what that movie yeah. is. And so it was just like going in, it was just like, I guess I'm going to watch a movie about a donkey. And it was so much different than anything I was expecting. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it's like, I don't know what I could have possibly expected, but it, it's it's just fantastic. Yeah, I really liked you. I'll have a review coming up this week in the next few days as this posts. And uh, uh, you could read me trying hard not to describe the movie because it's so hard to describe. <laughs> trying to parse it out yeah it's a tough one and describing um, it doesn't do it credit like if i was just like oh the donkey right. went from italy and then it went from a circus and then it went to this farm where it's shown up by a horse it's like why would it why would i do a plot by plot i'll leave that to the other reviewers yeah it's i mean it's definitely a film that it's sort of like it it's so much of it is in just experiencing it and you kind of have to soak it in it's very evocative in that way and the some things are just like really hard to sort of put into words in that sense since like so much there is just like sort of getting to soak in the visuals of it um so definitely worth watching i don't know what the release for that looks like at all <laughs> yeah um, i don't know if it's out i don't know if it, only we have gotten it and uh, i i hadn't right. heard of it certainly before the last week um i'm glad it's out there though i'm glad uh, our people are seeing it and and mostly liking it some people said it bored them to sleep in our association uh, I, I can't imagine because it's <laughs> not only, too surprising but it's only like 80 something minutes so i i think you know surely you can relate to being tired i'm tired all the time i get it <laughs> <laughs> I have a kid. sometimes it doesn't seem like something should should put me to sleep but it doesn't yeah i think it's valid uh, for a movie just to fall asleep to it and just be like that's fine um movies don't have to keep you awake it's not their job um so sure. I don't think you need to hold it against them being boring or anything. It's just natural to go to sleep. <laughs> As taught to us by the aforementioned Kiarostami, who advocated for sleeping through movies. Bless Kiarostami. <laughs> I need a nap yes. soon. Um, uh, uh, connected to that, I have uh, The Cow Who Sang a Song Into the Future, uh, an ethereal film from Chile about a, a cow and a woman who speaks to them. Uh, they Well, they sing songs, literal songs, and then she gets to go into the future and explore parallel versions of her life. So uh, that's a that's a great oh, that's pairing great. of movies. Yeah, I hope I hope I get some sort of access to that because I would really love to to catch it before the end of the year. But that might be one of those like festival <laughs> yeah. kind of 
ones that just kind of end up slipping out of the the wider recognition could be one that just doesn't um, get distribution at all but uh i'd be disappointed yeah. um because i think it's so visually cool i think the chilean scene's really good um yeah uh francisco algeria is the director here i i hope to see more of her work because uh this and uh and the whole sky fit into the dead cow's eye uh <laughs> my favorite other title that she's done your great title yeah, yeah, yeah. just a great title or movies both works are really great um so i think she's a, a visual stylist and uh sebastian Lelo isn't the only uh, chilean director making waves so. i will see the wonder from him by the way before uh the year's out uh, oh yeah i've been been seeing a little bit around that one i i mean it's interesting like if, if anything else like this the sort of push to watch these kinds of movies and you end up finding like new directors to be on the lookout for and, and who might end up kind of rising to more popularity in the next few years um, is, is, always, uh, is always fun a, a fantastic woman's one of my favorite movies from like the last five six years and i think he has uh, uh several others that are very good um and he remade his own movie it's always funny when uh directors do that so yeah, uh, the chilean scene is. is also on the rise and, and worth watching um, south, south american yeah. scenes very vivid yeah definitely seems like that's really on the rise which is great because i've always had uh, a very interesting time with the stuff that i've watched from that region um to go back sort of to korea we've mm. got two films this year um from korea although one from a japanese director which would be broker and decision to leave yeah um and and they're, they're both great i like them both a lot um i don't think that either of them quite stand up to sort of the rest of those directors yeah. output um but both of them do exactly what i want out of those directors i think decision to leave is just another really dynamically paced and well-constructed you know sort of romantic thriller by um park chan wook who is just a director i love and then broker is another like <laughs> very heart-wrenching story about family um and and who you choose to be your family and who you choose to love and you know just another sort of tearful journey from hirokazu mm, koreda yeah. so exactly what i'm looking for and then both i think um definitely on my list for this year even if they might not be my favorite from those respects yeah, I, I have a decision to leave and haven't seen broker yet so i imagine broker will end up uh, at least positive for me because Creator, and I, I, am, I can't imagine not being <laughs> attached to the subject. Um, it, it can't yeah. go wrong. <laughs> it can't go too wrong um, with either of those guys. So. That's kind of how I feel. I, I think I've seen, and I even briefly discussed while I was in the middle of the movie when we recorded last time, um, but I finished it now, and I'm much more positive on it than I was halfway through the movie. Um, I think it all came together really beautifully. Um hmm. I kind of lost where I was going with that in the first place in the middle sure, of talking about fine. that. Um, um, I, I think I think it's easy to sort of criticize like the playing the hits kind of thing, which is certainly what is going on in Broker. But he also is still doing it so well that I don't really think that that should have to be a problem. You know, if you want to take some of your even if you've done similar ideas already, if you want to do them in a different way and you want to do them with a different team. And this time he's gone to Korea to work with, you know, people that he wanted to work with there. And I think it's very successful. I don't think it's, you know, so familiar that I was bored by it or anything like that. So my next still film successful. is also a, a South Korean film, Nick Sohee from um, a female director, 
July Jung, who I, oh, I yeah. really just like the flavor of the film. It's such a nice slow burn and, and like a perfect festival find between like the, the frantic uh, thriller horror movies I like to see at festivals. And uh, the, the other kind of film I like to see is a real slow burn drama. A lot of heartache, like you say, Coretta yeah. uh, type film um, with the, a lot of heart in it. And a, a director I think we should keep an eye on because I think the direction's just so strong of the actors here. And uh, uh, Korea is <laughs> remarkable because it has so many different forms happening right now and they're, they're all very intense. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I'd be remiss not to mention, even though I haven't quite gotten around to it yet, and I don't know if there's actually going to be a push for it, but again from Korea, we've got another film from Hong Sang-soo this year, the novelist's film, which came out. Um, but I haven't, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen too much push for that. I wonder if we'll end up getting uh, a screen or anything. I would certainly like to watch that one. Um, I know Stephen, of course, liked it a lot because yeah. it's Hong Sang-soo. Um, Stephen things. But yeah, always such great stuff. Uh, coming yeah, out Hong Sang-soo, I'd feel the same way about probably can't miss. And uh, July Jang, I think she'll be another remarkable director and that i think we're going to be talking about her again in two years i think there's almost no question in my mind that like next so he shouldn't be the last thing um another remarkable movie from korea that's great uh uh yeah but like outside of uh you know the uh let's say outside of my first four here the rest are seven out of ten and below so i don't feel like i um i don't feel like any of these should win oscars yeah. or the <laughs> film critics association award but i right. i think they're all very worth seeing yeah I, I feel mostly the same i think there's been some great standout stuff and then the rest has been you know always i think worth watching but not quite enough to really elevate to that mm -hmm. next level yeah. for me um is there anything else um for this category that you're trying to get to before the end of the year that you really want to make sure you yeah get, you i know, get I know to? broker was at the top of my list but i also have drawn some recommendations from friends who, uh, who pointed me towards some weird stuff that's not going to make like anyone else's list but uh, uh that's kind of the fun <laughs> of this category is that you kind of get to explore outside yeah. of what comfort zones would be and i think uh, just like looking at what they uh threw to me uh, um like my friend uh, pavlos uh gave me a few things here I thought were interesting. Uh, one called Coma, um, a Nest, uh, that kind of summer. Um, so those are three things I'm, I'm kind of looking at and seeing what those are. Uh, that kind of summer, very divisive. I'm really interested in what that is. So, uh, from okay. Denise Cody. Yeah, I mean, as, as sort of... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I feel like as the, as the year sort of winds down, it's like I have like you start with this big list of things that you want to get to and then you know you start running out of time and it's like i have to start paring down that list so it's like as far as this category goes i think really my focus is on um no bears, oh, yeah, no bears. and then um gaspar noise is vortex, vortex this year um is one that i'm really interested really in as well. yeah okay yeah it is yeah. it is i have checked it is eligible this year um so i do want to check what about that out. Uh, there's that film how to blow up a pipeline is that maybe that's a international film I... oh yeah no that's been that has been hugely on my radar as well i've just been waiting Anything? for something to come through so i can watch it um but i have heard great things about it so yeah that super seems very much that. like a me film just all my interests are kind of in there i like eco-terrorism films so, as like a, a primary point of focus <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's yeah, it's, it's such a great title, title that's too. That's great. Yeah, um, it's almost like like a 
anarchist cookbook type title like how could you not watch it it's good um it'll be good yeah um i think that's probably unless you have anything else to mention i think that's pretty much everything that we have um for that category if you want to move on to sure our next i feel like here. mine will be kind of a repetitious um, list of things that, that have kind of come up but, uh yeah animation wise yeah, so let's talk about best animated feature. I was an idiot and just closed my tabs with the the winners, and I had to navigate back to them real quick. Um, so last year, uh, Seattle Film Critics Society gave best animated feature to Flea, and I believe the Oscars did so. the same. Um, but let me... What else would it have been? Uh, if I can find it, animated. Nope. What else was there last year? I don't. I don't have a clear. Oh, uh, of course, uh, Encanto won the Oscar, of course. Um, no, that's not a very Oscar thing to do. Um, uh, because they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, we have this uh, diversity push, but then we have this movie with like a, uh, a lot of social currency that's also uh, something that could speak to people. Let's do the, you know, the corporate diversity push. That sounds good. Um, that's a very Oscar thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's unfortunate that it's just become you know even just in a wider sense like everyone just knows it to be the disney pixar uh, award yeah. category um which is so unfortunate because there's so much diversity in animation and there's always so many interesting things coming out and there's so many great options and it ends up just being whatever disney put out but that i feel like this might be the year where that is kind of um i think there's potential for that because to break they're going to do year. the same I thing i am going with mad god Fuck yeah, Oscars! <laughs> I don't, th- I don't more know like, if the Oscars more are like go Oscars. So right, you know what I mean? <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, I will like. Uh, um, I will have confetti like... like flying everywhere. I will be like blowing on like noisemakers <laughs> when like Phil Tepic comes to the stage, like as like a uh, like a puppeteer, and he like stands behind the podium and has his uh, uh like his hell diver from Mad God like dive down and, and grab the award from the podium. Yeah. I would love to see that. Um, I mean, I'd love to even see him. He'll <laughs> <it'll> never, yeah. <laughs> um, that would uh, they be, they, they that would not want to celebrate thirty years of work on an animated film. That's just uh, beyond their interest. Um, I think so. Um, it's offensive to them. <laughs> but it's an interesting year. <laughs> it's an interesting year as far as like the the Disney output because it doesn't feel like it's it's really a strong year in that sense. I mean, I think Turning Red is. I, I almost hate to say it, even though I think Turning Red is great, but I think it's a pretty yeah, likely yeah. winner. Um, Very Oscars. Uh, but I think a worthwhile winner. I think outside of that, you've got Lightyear and, and what we just talked about, which is Strange Is World, that it? Both of those are just not... I don't think... Was I, Raya I, as far last as I year? Know, Raya um, and the Last Dragon was probably last year. Yeah, that was, uh, that yeah, was last Yeah, I think that's year. all the Disney movies um, then. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing to you know stand out nothing that really really stands out in in that realm this year for me the at least disney wise mm. um there's there's definitely a it's, i think it's been an interesting and, and pretty strong yeah year for animation diverse outside of uh, forms of animation as well um that those two we mentioned are my first yeah two, i mean you've I, got... think we, I think you have other things well you've got like we've got three stop motion films this year between mad god 
Wendell and Wilde and Pinocchio, um, which is an interesting. I mean, that's such a it's like an art form that I feel like had was kind of yeah. lost there for a while and was pretty much just Leica doing that. Which of course I you know appreciate so much them kind of keeping that alive, but to see sort of a a resurgence in a single year like that, I think is great. Hopefully, there's more. And of a you push think for of um, the uh, Leica influence and like the Travis Knight and, and like whole Nike thing happening in, in Oregon, all the money being put into stop motion there. Uh, two other animation studios have surfaced in that same area, which has produced um, Window and Wild and Pinocchio. So uh, all of it is regionally Pacific okay. Northwest uh, in like the stop motion community right now. Uh, I mean, you could. Uh, I mean, um, Marcel is not really a movie, but you could say like that's kind of like a, a stop. Would you say it's like a stop animation style? I mean, it is eligible this year, and that's, I mean, as far as the animation aspects of it, it is, but, oh, and there also is, um, actually, there's Ford, because oh, there's yeah. The House yeah. as well, um, which was a really, I, I thought see it was a really fun still. movie. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, so four stop motion like, movies, that's that's crazy. Like I say, like that Portland um, uh, thing that's just happening, there, there's so much creativity in that in that scene right now. Yeah, um, but I mean, as far as Marcel goes, I think it's, I, I like Marcel a lot, obviously, <laughs> you are very vocally against Marcel, but like, I don't think of Marcel as being like that animated movie, like I would kind of be, even as someone that likes the movie, I would kind of be bummed to see it win Best Animated, because it's, so much of it is not animated, and there is, you know, so much of it that is also live action, and it's worthwhile to blend that to a degree, but as far as exemplifying that art form, I don't think it's quite the the film. I agree. Showing that off. <laughs> I don't feel anything anymore. Though, so <laughs> if it wins, I'm not going to feel anything. <laughs> so, well, certainly with the Oscars, nothing really confuses <laughs> me at this point. I, I'm sure they're not going to go with my third choice, which is Inuo. Um, uh, what's it? It's like the Dog King or something, which is a, a rock opera from Japan as an anime movie. With like uh, wild appendages flying everywhere, it just like audio visually led, uh, just like total like clashing rock songs against like this um, traditional Japanese uh, uh, background, which is uh, another uh, Yusei uh, animation who did a uh, uh, what's it, what's it called the girl who walks home alone at night or I think that's close. Um, uh, Night yes. of short walk on girl. Uh, is, yes, is what uh, not, <laughs> not the West. Which is a great the, movie. The girl walks um. home alone. It's, it's yeah, <laughs> night short walk on girl, mind game, uh, devil man cry baby, uh, uh, just a, a huge aesthetic that's totally different. Yeah, I really like um, really like that director. So I'm hopefully I can get to that one before the end. Oh, of the he year had as a, well. He had my um, favorite I, animation I, I, a couple I, years ago too. Like ride ride your wave is a. A very particular thing that I just loved, and and nobody had seen it for like four months. I was like, "This is the best animation. Everyone's got to see it." And uh, uh, I'd still like people to see that ridiculous movie about like a a boy who's like a water spirit and the girl who loves him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I, for some reason, I was thinking I had seen that, but I'm getting it's it really confused fun. with something else. Um, yeah, such a great director. I always like when, when that kind of stuff can end up near the top of my list, so I'm excited to hopefully get to check that one out. I think really the top of my list is, okay. is just two movies, and I think that's um, I think that's Mad God and Pinocchio. Um, I, Pinocchio is just really, really stunning. I mean, I think they both really exemplify the sort of 
how beautiful animation can be and what you can really do with that medium and how you can make it really evocative, but in such different ways. I mean, obviously, just the the general look and feel, you know, Mad God is so, like, horrifying and disgusting. Um, I think certainly effectively so. Um, and Pinocchio is, is much cleaner and more specific, but it's also, like, the, the wonderful um, presentation of Guillermo del Toro, of course, and, like, his kind of, the way that he presents that fantastical stuff. Um, and, of course, it's infused with plenty of anti-fascist <laughs> sentiment as well, which I can't yeah. be mad about, so just great stuff there. Yeah, I'm also... Um anti-fascist <laughs> uh, but i'm also waiting for pinocchio so <laughs> i have to uh, i continue to uh to wait to move it up my list i'm pretty positive that i'll uh, uh fall in love with a, a version that's so different from the disney one this year <laughs> i would i would imagine i have not heard anything good about so, that uh, other version it's interesting to have what seems like such a lazy and uninspired take and perhaps the exact opposite of that um in gdt's pinocchio um but yeah i think it's i think it's really exceptional um also has a great score as well so that's something uh, to look out for on, the uh, best on thing that happened from like uh, zemeckis doing the new pinocchio was uh, um tim burton coming out and talking about like his work on dumbo afterward and being like I was the real Dumbo in their circus and, and like Disney just like kind of like abusing these <laughs> uh, former auteur filmmakers yeah. who only really care about technology and making money now. Um, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, worthwhile, you know, thing to sort of have in the in the conversation um, in the wider discourse, I think. So it's an interesting interesting avenue for that i guess it's worth something yeah and i love when all. like uh someone um, like gdt who comes from like the another culture uh is so firmly embedded in like the the art of like american movies that he could be like yeah. a, a premier animation director as well he's so versatile yeah it's great because i feel like i've seen you know a lot of people mentioning that this is kind of the a closing to that sort of thematic like fascist trilogy oh, really? of, of his um being like pan like pan's labyrinth devil's and backbone. um uh devil's backbone yeah I, I mean i think it has a lot of similar ideas because it's very um specific about being in um, okay. mussolini's italy um which is which is very uh it's critical to the story but yeah i think it does that pretty well it's not quite you know the same thing as those other two i wondered why all, like someone's review ended um, with fuck you mussolini i was like this is pinocchio right like I, <laughs> <laughs> oh it's 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 great yeah um cool yeah, it's, it's like it seems like he's maybe the only director that could so seamlessly just like kind of weave that into the rest of it because um, it doesn't feel like it's out of place at and all. And he comes, um, yeah, I think that's really the. I think he comes to it with such a big heart too that when his films are anti-fascist and they yeah. they do have the politics in there, I don't think you could uh, possibly be rubbed the wrong way by it. I think it's so it's so clearly from like him speaking from his chest and then and so so fully blooded oh yeah and, uh, absolutely uh, like devil's backbone you can kind of just sit with the message and it won't um push you away because the art is so good um unless you're a fascist absolutely uh, <laughs> in which case i'm sure he wants you to have nothing to do with yeah his movie from anyway, here my so. list gets weird um well because we have wendell and wild which i think is just an okay movie that i like a lot because of the animation so i think animation wise i made it 
And then right. my list gets really weird because I have Bob's Burgers and Beavis and Butthead like a leading like a pack here, uh, <laughs> which totally I'm you don't need to see too. them. Uh, like if you like have like any fondness for those shows, I I really had nothing for Bob's Burgers, but I watched the first two seasons and when saw it, and I was like, that's a really great way to move a, a animated series to a movie. Yeah. And Beavis and Butthead I always liked because of the music videos, and then uh, I have it easy in there, and it's oddly progressive uh mike judge i really like so i'm kind of in on that yeah of course yeah i i like mike judge a lot but i don't have like any of that nostalgia for beavis and butthead so i'm not sure it would offer well, much they for even me. brought it back um, like nine years ago and it was really good again and nobody watched it and and uh, they're bringing it back again and it's oh, course, really good yeah. again and nobody's watching it but uh <laughs> yeah there's always like those kinds of things where there's this sort of push to like it's always yeah. specifically animation and then they bring it back and they're like we've we've answered the call of the fans and then nobody watches it and then the cycle repeats somehow I'll probably offend someone but it reminds me of like uh when like conan o'brien's show was canceled and i like talked to people who like like the show and i was like yeah so you you like the show for a while they're like yeah once it got canceled it's like uh, i think there's a thing once television gets canceled that actually the <laughs> yeah. audience starts there um like uh if there is a cult it's because it's been canceled um nobody watched conan o'brien instead of leno yeah. until it became the alternative to watching leno um that's just what happens yeah i mean i think we've started seeing that so much with netflix stuff because netflix will put stuff out and then you know <laughs> right. cancel it after a season and then it's like do you see it seems like there's no base for it and then they cancel it and suddenly there's like droves of people demanding that it be brought back and Netflix no. isn't going to answer those, <laughs> those they requests. They haven't responded to one of my emails about Glow, so I don't think they're going to uh, uh, ever reply to me, um, <laughs> which is sad, uh, because Glow is probably the best show they've done. Uh, I feel damaged, personally, by that, uh, but that's what happens with fan bases. You have, like, two people that are like me, and then you have, yeah. like, uh, 30 people that join them <laughs> afterwards, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's get right. it back, because I cancellation is a good reason to go watch something because it's over and it's finite and you could get the whole arc um it's good oh uh, that's very true yeah and and there's a story there now it has a, a story beyond the uh television television's so boring as a format like <laughs> like when community <laughs> gets agree, canceled yeah. it's like people are like oh yeah i now there's a story there and it's important it's meaningful and, right and community is like a good example but a lot of these shows don't matter so <laughs> right yeah it's a definitely it's a whole different landscape with so many different um sort of things to navigate to end up with something successful and and shockingly it's just very progressive uh, and funny and uh very 2022 that's great to um, hear yeah. uh, feminist work uh uh, uh fascinating to me <laughs> uh <laughs> that's yeah. fascinating to me too um so do you want to with that do you want to move on to our last category for this episode which of course once again has gotten out of <laughs> has <hand>. it okay <laughs> um, uh yeah we could get to the last one which is uh, probably no shorter because um, it's one of my favorite subjects but we could keep it tight here if we want yeah we've got i'm sure you've got much more than me but we're going to talk about best documentary feature um, so last year, Seattle Film Critics Society and I believe the Oscars gave it as well. Yes, both the Oscars and Seattle Film Critics Society gave it to Summer of Soul, which 
wholly deserved um yeah i think i mean just one of my favorite films from last year in general um such a great documentary absolutely it was phenomenal. my second and i i mean i was like uh um i think like historically wrong about having it second despite also giving it 10 out of 10 i had a, a roadrunner the anthony bourdain film which is probably more about my background with addiction okay, and my yeah. love for anthony bourdain yeah uh, no it makes sense uh, just yeah like that that moved me so much and came at a period where i needed it uh and morgan neville's work i think is consistently really great from like waiting for sugar man to uh uh, what was it the the mr rogers doc uh, won't you be my neighbor yeah uh which oh, yeah. I, I had never seen audience like uh audience members bring tissues to the movie but like three people in my theater brought tissues <laughs> with them and i thought that was very funny oh interesting uh, like like it were popcorn they they had it in their lap the whole movie and they were like ready to cry and oh. i i was so moved by that oh that's interesting to like go yeah. in with that expectation i mean it happens because you have the expectation you can't bring a tissue box yeah. and then not cry um uh i found that very <laughs> endearing true. there so uh, i like his movies a lot uh so yeah summer soul also a perfect movie yeah and I, for the record i did like i think more than most people as well i, I liked roadrunner a lot <laughs> that was a really good documentary um i guess even <laughs> though we're running out of time let's just do it anyway um do you want to just talk about like some of your favorite um documentaries no. in general uh, like no, I, no. I like uh, Active Killing, one of my favorite <laughs> movies ever made. Um, I like Agnes Varde's work as well. All of it is very documentary focused. It's why I like the uh, uh, French New Wave as well, because I think it leans into ways of shooting documentary. Yeah. My favorite film, Under the Skin, of course, is shot with like a lot of documentary filmmaking styles, like putting like six cameras in a car, shooting people when they don't know you're shooting them. Uh, taking non-actors is one of my favorite traits of movies. Um, I don't like stars in movies. I like people who are unknown actors generally, <laughs> and I like um, yeah. uh, discovering things. I like when they don't show up in any more movies. I like when they have a one-act career. Um, I like to see them succeed too, but <laughs> I especially like those movies where they're brought in as not not named talent. And uh, Yeah, no, I get that. Um, it kind of explains everything I like about movies. I like that uh, people everyone could use a camera now and upload a movie i think it's the most universal subject of filmmaking um and allows for the most diversity of thought because it allows anyone to just film what's around them and uh it doesn't require right. a production company it doesn't require you know it it requires a lot of editing like it's mostly a editing genre but you don't you don't need studio effects yeah. in that editing um, you don't need to go in and add things you should probably leave it alone actually <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think like, you know, sort of like the conversation of like favorite documentaries is an interesting one because I think everyone has such specific and different things that they look for in a documentary. I think there's often like, there's certainly, you know, universality to what ends up being like the best couple of things in any given year. You know, I think that it would be hard to show anybody summer of soul and for them to not be a huge fan of it. But there's also a lot of value in, you know, the stuff that you find that you end up just kind of feeling like, Oh, this is really something that, that speaks to me. Um, because I think that there's like so much more in documentaries than I think maybe some people give it credit for. Um, I think there's so much landscape to play with in that mm -hmm. genre. 
Um, and you can end up with some really fascinating stuff, which I think even this year, I think we've kind of ended up with a couple of things that really take it to places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, so yeah, what's at the top of your list um, for this year? I think I've talked about it a few times, but uh, Fire of Love is just like a massive act of editing and genius and like uh, Saradosa's construction of what yeah. film can be and what documentaries could it tell us about their subjects uh, in a way that I think goes beyond like the Werner Herzog uh, getting close to the volcano uh, thing that he's done a couple times where he's like kind of like filming literally <laughs> like uh, on like an active volcano that's uh, evacuated the town. But, but Cerados is more like filming about uh, compassion and empathy for people who like uh, were volcanologists and what this meant for like their love life, what brought them together. It's, it's truly a love story where like the, the love tri triangle also includes volcanoes. Yeah. <laughs> right, like that's exactly why I think it's it's ends up being such a special movie because it's not just it's like yeah, anyone could, you know, take that footage and make yes. a movie about volcanoes because they were people that studied volcanoes and I'm sure you could make a very informative documentary about volcanoes from that, but to take that instead and to sort of talk about um these people and their relationship and their relationship to the earth and what that says about our wider relationship to the earth and kind of it gets into so much more that's so much more worthwhile than just facts about volcanoes um and that's what that's exactly the kind of thing that i want to see from mm. a documentary it, i mean it has everything you want like a, a unique like a kind of quirky subject like this guy who really wants to go rafting down a volcano uh, like his, his heart's <laughs> yeah. really set on that but, but also like the love of his life's out here and this is all they do together and they almost seem like dead set and like ending it in a volcano like they they really just want to die in a volcano but uh, uh not in the way that i think like i said Werner herzog does i think they are just so attached to that study that the it is like their yeah. love language in a way is their expression of um uh academia around volcanoes and i think it's a, a better way to learn more about volcanoes is to watch the people learning about it um i mean i, I my interest was a lot higher than if i just watched a formal like educational documentary about it which i wouldn't have stuck with yeah yeah i think so too and i mean i think in my head, this is kind of the the general front runner for the year. I don't know, you know, kind of yeah. what else there really is. Um, it's, it's it's always such like an interesting thing because it's like on the one hand, I think it's a really interesting genre with so many things to explore, but also like just any given year, you only end up with you know maybe five or six things that are mm. really going to stand out um, in any way that's that's going to end up on awards list and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, I'm sure that there are countless documentaries yeah. that came out this year but they uh it's hard to give those the traction it's hard because like there's like a a high end and a low end for documentaries and the low end so low and the low yeah. end so much ever present on netflix and like the youtube thing it doesn't need awards because it's kind of uh what what recognition does a thing need when you could load your computer and it's on you don't need to go to the theater exactly it's so easy to make stuff that is just that when you're looking for things that sort of push that genre mm. in a different direction or are aware of the genre and are actually trying to do something with that awareness and doing something different 
It's like, that's great, but that really limits you to a few things, and the rest is just going to be very generic and simply put together stuff that is just facts about a volcano, and it's, you'll watch it and it'll be fine, but it's not going to leave yeah. that lasting well, impression. What did you have? Did you have anything else that really... Was that was that your primary thing? I mean, yeah, I think I think Fire of Love is really the one that, that stands out kind of head and shoulders above the rest. I think Moon Age mm-hmm. Daydream is also great. Um, just uh, a really interesting way to sort of do a portrait of a musician like that and about David Bowie. And I think it's, it's, it's reflective in a good way of, of sort of the, how eclectic, eclectic and interesting of a person he was. And, um, the construction of the documentary reflects that in a way that I really like. Um, I have some problems with it. I did a whole (laughs) podcast about Moon Age Daydream, um, with Stephen, who is much more informed on David his review is so am, fascinating but still his a really great is like my favorite kind that people write for the site where they're just so like embedded in a subject that they become like uh yeah uh, experts and i think they end up writing the best review that someone could read so i i'd strongly just recommend yeah reading stevens and then listening to your podcast but i watched it today and i thought it was good to great um and it's kind of in the same lane as uh uh, Todd Haynes, The Velvet Underground, who, who maybe is just an act I have so much more fondness for than Bowie, and maybe they're my Bowie, and I, I have such a, a deep appreciation for Velvet Underground that that Todd Haynes' approach last year was just right. what I wanted. Like I think that's the the only approach now. I don't see any other document that would be worth making about Velvet Underground. I think that's the one, and I I kind of get the impression about Moon Age Daydream that there's still room at least. Um, there's still a lot of Bowie left to unearth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the interesting thing about when you make, like, documentaries like this that are about such a specific, like, subject is there's a buy-in that, that, you, that they're never going to know that you have. It's like you watch a narrative feature and everyone's right. kind of on the same page when they started. But when you're watching a documentary, it's like you don't <laughs> know if someone knows next to nothing about david bowie or knows everything about david bowie and how does that affect um kind of the the end result of how you're watching i it. think like the the velvet underground sales pitch has always been so clean and clear it's always been the you know the brian eno comment about like a um they didn't sell any records but everyone who bought them did start their own bands and so it informed everything about music so anyone interested in <laughs> rock music and alternative music if you like any alternative band, then you owe a debt to Velvet Underground, obviously. But um, yeah, <laughs> so like I'm so bought in there. But like the Bowie thing is just like I like every Bowie song right. that I hear. Um, I I had like a old cassette of like the Man Who Sold the World like uh, when I was young, and uh, <laughs> it was many years before I even heard my next one. But but I have like an early Bowie relationship pre Nirvana covering yeah. it. Um, uh and then that you know that exploded that interest as well uh but uh yeah bowie um lowe's my favorite album um uh, where are you at with bowie you're probably saying that show but um yeah i do go into to more detail there okay. i'm pretty surface Same. level with with bowie i mean i i like his music but you know i've kind of only heard like the the biggest okay. stuff and i have kind of a a pretty surface level um, understanding of, of his life. So kind of, I was just taking sort of the documentary as it came to me. And then I learned a lot more like talking to Steven about it and him being able to point out where it's kind of missing stuff or where it's maybe a little bit misleading at points, which I think is important. And that's kind of like circles around to the, the earlier discussion of you're only getting the, 
the documentarian's view and what they're choosing to present to you and you kind of just have to accept it at face value and mm-hmm. if you don't know anymore yeah i could see that and i i i like uh, artists like bowie where i'm barely into him but then i feel like the most interesting kind of fan i'd want to be where i'm like uh, i i like low station to station and and uh the man who fell to earth are my favorite <laughs> bowie products so uh you could have like a, a weirdness because there's <laughs> yeah. so much quality work out there that that you could uh, only be briefly into Bowie and still have an esoteric interest in him. Uh, I think that's really fun. Uh, right. So uh, it's a really good documentary. Um, anyone should see Men Age Daydream anyway. Uh, uh, for me, uh, more academically, kind of just like uh, telling you about volcanoes, is that black enough for you? Is uh, just uh, about black exploitation, oh, okay. which is just a subject that's so interesting. And yeah. uh, like uh, Horn Noir from a couple of years ago. Uh, just a, another excellent like document going over like where uh, black actors in history led into these films and exploitation genres. Uh, Lynch vs. Oz, which is uh, narrated by several filmmakers, actors, and uh, is just a, a nice lens into uh, um, not so much just saying, oh, this is from Oz and this is why Lynch did it, but, but what that would mean to make some right. real work in like the framework of a, a cinema that already has Oz in it. Um Sweetheart Deal will be big in our uh, Pacific Northwest awards, probably. I, I feel safe saying that might make the cut. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we we mentioned that briefly when we first started talking about that award, and that's one that I uh, really need to get to because it seems like a great one, and I think it's going to definitely be talked about quite a lot in our circles. So I only feel confident because everyone likes Sweetheart Deal that I've talked to. Um, I mean, I I just thought like six out of ten, but then I was also like, yeah, but but maybe it is one of the better <laughs> examples of Seattle for the year and uh, Aurora, right. especially, is an interesting area that I think frames a lot of what people think of Seattle yeah. as in a very literal way. Um, then more music docs. Uh, uh, nothing compares about Sydney O'Connor, <laughs> um, the Brandy, oh yeah, Carlisle, Tanya Tucker documentary. Uh, the return of Tanya Tucker, and uh, this much I know to be true, uh, uh, with Warren Ellis and Nick Cave, uh, those kind of all form, you know, continued interest in music documentaries. There's one about the indie label Elephant Six, which is a um, like Aeroplane Under the Seas kind of a production company. So I kind of want to get oh, okay. get into that by the end of the year. But uh, um, a life on the farm about a guy who poses. <laughs> uh, I think it's his mom that dies and then he like poses her in like funny positions with his uh farm animals and then uh and he makes like home videos but but he's very sweet about it um i think like like all he had was his mom right it's not like there's like an insidious thing like yeah he just doesn't have much exposure he might have a a touch of something going on but um but it's a really interesting weird movie um uh a life on the farm is just a unique documentary because it's this guy's home videos of all these weird things he did on the farm and and uh, his relationship with life and death is uh, unique and i i don't want to frame that in like a he's wrong way it's just culturally awkward yeah yeah no totally um and then i have asterisks on too that i like better than some of these late ones uh, which is <laughs> we need to talk about cosby and genius about kanye uh documentaries i don't want to talk about but yeah. i think are better than uh, most of the stuff out there anyway no that's totally fair i mean i think you always have that sort of that risk sort of when you're looking at and talking about documentaries of like 
especially the the timing of the uh kanye doc is is interesting um and now it's like yeah let's just not talk about that at all because (laughs) he is not a person to be worth giving any sort of platform to and i think (laughs) that movie winning any awards would be more than anyone could ask for i've always wondered if like his implosion was assured when we saw that much of kanye like i wonder if there was any reality where that doc came out where he would have been uh, perfectly reasonable and mentally well. I don't. I don't see that reality, but where where the documentary comes yeah, out and yeah, leads to like that's possible, rational choices, right. um, uh, I think that's why it's very dangerous and why it was made over so many years. I just think the access that the filmmakers right. had and and their background with like hip hop television is uh, uh, remarkable enough that I think we could remove it from the subject and say that's you know good documentary filmmaking about an artist. Uh, that goes way above the call of what these usually do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's just yeah. kind of like a lose-lose situation where you just don't want to be able to to mention that I at know. all because it seems like no matter what you what you do there, it's just it's involving a person that you you don't want to be involving at all. Which is it's unfortunate because, like you said, there are people that are have worked hard on that documentary and deserve recognition, but. It's impossible to divorce that, you know, from a living person who is doing actively harmful <laughs> things at the same time. Plus, it was bought for more money than any documentary ever has been. So, I mean, it is like a, a number one on like documentary yeah. sales at festivals of all time by many millions. Um, so, it's hard to be like, let's never talk about the most uh, uh, profited documentary That's of all true, time yeah. and just ignore like this, the biggest thing that happened in documentaries ever. It's yeah. like, a, um, yeah, I don't know, like a. Chike and Cootie, though, uh, seem like really sweet filmmakers and, and like their hearts were in the right place for like the 12 years they filmed this. Again, right. uh, filmmakers sit with artists for one year and usually put these docs out. So having yeah, having like no, multiple stages true. of Kanye's whole career, uh, that, I mean, that what's it worth now? But, but you know, doing it was is a worthwhile thing. Yeah, it just seems like it's it was maybe just an unfortunate place for them to sort of stop and, and decide to be done with that because it seems like there's there's so much more still don't to you be think told they're, they're so glad um, they sold it last year <laughs> oh i'm uh, sure you think it would yeah, still be absolutely. the most profitable documentary of all time if they sold it now maybe there's even more interest but i mean i think there's yeah i think there's just i think it's like a mad matter of windows it's like either they're they're committing to where they stopped it when they already did or it's like they would probably be committing to basically just doing it for like the rest of their lives until kanye is no longer i wonder around, if they knew you know? like, like i wonder if they it. knew it, it had to be about the time like i wonder if he had, had started out, cutting yeah. them off and like very it kind of happens later in the documentary where it gets real weird like they have to like oh, okay. travel places and kanye is not talking to people anymore and uh, he does his own thing, like in Wyoming, where he, you know, kind of like isolates from from his celebrity. And... Yeah, I imagine that's extremely draining just to have to be constantly documenting that <laughs> over so many years. So maybe there's just a just an emotional thing of like, I can't yeah. continue doing this with this person and have to just finish yeah, this that... project. But there's also something to be said for potentially having continued that and seeing more of the uh sort of downfall of when it came person. out it was pretty much guaranteed in my list so i do feel like it bears mentioning with an asterisk that i mean if you just want to watch documentary filmmaking that's good i, I mean from a rap right. perspective from late rap television I, I don't see how you're going to do any better this year so um 
Yeah, no, I mean it's it's true. It's a a tough position for that that documentary, especially like branching in. from like the, um, the production history of like Channel Zero, like a famous like a, a Chicago rap station, like Public Access to. Uh, the style they right. shoot it with is kind of in the same guise. It's very interpersonal, and uh, I don't know. They they don't make documentaries like that about artists that are that big. And I, I I'm very right. regretful that it's not just on my list. So, I'm thinking about it again, actually. But I, <laughs> um, I like you say, awarding it anything would be so bad. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Um. I, I think that's pretty much the end of, of my list. I did watch um, Goodnight Oppie today, which is, it's good. Um, I don't think that it's going to end up on any best of the year lists for me, um, but it's still very good. I mean, it's it's hard not to be compelled by sort of this funny little thing of, of the story of this sort of the little... Uh, what am I, the little rover that could in a sense of like you know the these rovers that were meant to yeah. last only 90 days and you know he was around for for so many years um and it does do a lot of interesting things with sort of like the bond that we end up making with these kinds of things and how this the team behind um opportunity ended up being so emotionally attached to this little robot because of how and... much he did um so i think there's there's certainly a lot there but i think that it's not quite as great as it could be maybe or maybe there's just kind of because it is sort of so so based in just like telling a very specific story like that like <laughs> there is an a to b that isn't you know that it has already existed that's not anything yeah. particularly new it's you know exactly what it and is we so. had like a, a moment where we had like apollo 11 and a lot of great space documentaries that were that were very fascinating for a while um uh, yeah, don't be surprised that like I, I think uh, there was the one year where my octopus teacher came out in like December on Netflix, and then suddenly it was the uh, number one award contender <laughs> yeah, for everyone. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and then nobody talked about it again. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything. I don't know if there's anything really else um, that's still like anticipated you never know. coming yeah. out. I'm very interested. Yeah, I'm very interested in yeah. all the beauty and the bloodshed, but I don't know if that's going to get any wider. Um, at least public recognition. It seems like the uh, the sort of the circles that we are in are enjoying it a lot. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Um, anything else that you want to mention before Not we sign all. off Next for this week? week? Will be our short show. <laughs> I think uh, we say it every. Week. <laughs> are we going to say that every was week? <laughs> very evidently not going to be for me. It just these subjects are so different that I think uh, they all deserve their space. And the, uh, if we went over long, I think the subjects deserve the time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, lots to lots to talk about this week. So I think lots um, lots to cover. It seems like it's easy to to think going in that it's <laughs> going to be a quick conversation, and then you're like, oh, but I want to give you know equal airtime to all of these movies that I loved, and there's just been a lot of great oh, yeah. stuff to talk about this year. Um, but yeah, come back next week, and we will be talking about uh, best ensemble, best youth performance, and villain of the year. So. Should be some fun yeah. stuff to discuss there, um, and maybe some some different things that we haven't had a chance to cover yet. So Thirty be a minute episode. episode. I'm, um, I'm anything else before to we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> we'll just see. check out the twinkles.com <laughs> as always for all our shows and articles. Yeah, there you go for continued coverage of the, many of these award seasons movies that we we are review a lot of them. About. Yeah, <laughs> so, the uh, what we say here is we kind of the end yeah. of our conversation. I I'm I have EO. You're doing, uh, you have Pinocchio. Is that correct or no? 
Yeah, I, um, okay. I still need to write several reviews for stuff that it all I've kind of, watched yeah, recently, <laughs> including Pinocchio and Broker. But yeah, lots to catch up on and lots to write about. You know, it's kind of have to balance those two things. Um, but yeah, come back next week for more uh, more of this stuff and check out the TwinGeeks.com for more written pieces about these movies that we are talking about. <laughs> <laughs>